Being able to build out and define your character is one of the core parts of any great role-playing game. So when a game like Sagas comes out, you have something really special. Created by Dennis, or OKSDM, Sagas is a setting and genre agnostic system primed to help you build the adventures and stories you want without needing to be concerned about buying 40 different role systems. Build a character, dive into the mechanics, and find your inspiration right here on Schedule for Launch. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover the projects that you may have missed. This week, I'm glad to be back starting off the new year with a really cool game and with somebody I've been talking to a little bit. Dennis, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast on, well, not to date this too much, but on New Year's Eve. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me and happy, happy new year. Happy new year to you too. So we're going to be talking about your game, Sagas, which is really cool it's a very interesting game an acronym which i didn't realize at first either (laughs) and (laughs) i thought that was brilliant i was i love a good little bit of wordplay in my my titles and stuff like that so i mean we were going through the names of like trying to figure out what to call this thing um we were like okay it's going to be a universal system it's going to be able to be played in any uh setting in any genre you're going to be able to do any character any world but what are we going to call it and we went through like must have been several dozen different names Mm -hmm. um but it was very clear um when we when it was first mentioned that it was going to be sagas which is an acronym for setting and genre agnostic system and everybody was like that's brilliant and we like didn't even suggest anything after that (laughs) (laughs) i played the kickstarter for it and i saw that pop up and i was like oh that is very clever and i was immediately more because it's a great for what it is it's a great name already and then you break it down a little bit and we're going to talk about that a little bit more but before we really dive into sagas can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself yeah sure uh, hi, I'm Dennis. You can find me all over the internet at okayist underscore underscore DM. I got my start in TTRPG content creation over on YouTube with my channel, okayist DM, um, where I make mistakes running games so you don't have to. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> uh, I had a lot of fun doing that for a long time, um, but I started to move out of that uh Earlier this year, with the whole uh, OGL, you know, minor yeah. apocalypse we had, January 23, um, and I started moving into more actual live streaming stuff and obviously game design, and uh, I think that's the direction I'm going to continue going, but my GM advice videos are still up on YouTube. Um, I got monetized within three months of having that channel, um, oh, which wow. was, you know... Yeah, it was. I was very thankful, but um, uh, the channel died off very quickly because I realized that editing videos is hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, that's still there if you want to. I still stream on there uh, very often, and um, but now we're doing game design, and I'm fucking loving it. You've done a really good job, especially with this being the the first. Well, it's like the first big release. I think you've done some like 
smaller stuff. I know that you've talked about with your old videos, like improving modules to like better suit your your stuff, how to use certain enemies. And like a lot of that was Dungeons and Dragons focused. And then mm-hmm. from what I could tell, because I haven't been able to watch a whole backlog of, I believe it's like over a year of videos, but well, over a year being like a video a month. So <laughs> I was a real slow, uh, slow creator. That's totally fine. Nevertheless, though, you really focused on Dungeons and Dragons, and then you kind of started talking more storytelling. And I know that there's like a, I mean, just from the Discord alone, there's like a huge drive and love for sagas as it's being announced and people being really excited about that. So what is sagas? Well, I've got up here in front of me a real quick little elevator pitch that I'll read out, and then I'll go into more detail, obviously. All right. Yeah, uh, so, Sagas, setting and genre agnostic system, is a universal, rules-light TTRPG designed to easily tell your story in any world. You can choose from over 100 features to build your character or use guidelines for qu- quickly making your own unique abilities. Sagas also promotes helping allies over helping yourself, and using the smooth and fast combat rules, you can describe the epic team combos that take down the final boss. Sagas uses a check-based roll-under resolution system. Your character features change the size of the die you roll, and your allies can help by giving you more dice to roll, improving your chances of getting the lowest possible number. Uh, This game will be made available at no charge. It's going to be pay what you want on DriveThruRPG, even in its final iteration. Um, And the playtest, which is up there on DriveThruRPG right now, is only 35 pages. The playtest is also so well done. I wanted to bring that up first and foremost because I look at a lot of games, but I was able to just like be like, okay, these are the core mechanics that I need to use. And this game is so easy to learn. Like, yeah, not even like from like the rules light part, but also because it's, it's not overly complicating anything. A lot of the feedback we have gotten is that the resolution for checks and everything is very, very intuitive like yeah. even after you've only done it a couple times um b- because there's no modifiers that's one thing i don't really like about D&D is the time you have to wait for someone to figure out what their role actually is instead of just reading the die and saying what it mm-hmm. is and figuring out immediately whether they succeeded or failed um so in sagas you literally get assigned difficulty and you roll your dice. And if any of the numbers on the dice are at or below that difficulty, it's a success. If it's not, it's a failure. You don't have to do any arithmetic to figure out um, whether you succeeded or not. It's a very math friendly game, which is a refreshing take. Mm -hmm. Really the defining thing about sagas is that genre agnostic, light rule setting with highly customizable characters. What made you go towards something that's setting agnostic instead of something that's a little bit more tuned in on one theme specifically? 
I think it has to do with um, the OGL boom uh, that I've heard it referred to, where, you know, people are starting to realize Dungeons & Dragons is not the only role-playing game out there. And yep. there are so many other ones that are uh, not necessarily better, but for individual people, they're going to like different games because their play styles vary a lot. I wanted to make one that was easy to pick up and could be played, you, it could be used to tell any story. Um, because I didn't want to have to learn an entire new rule set every single time I wanted to play in a different setting or genre. Yeah. I didn't want to have to go through and buy and learn a whole uh, book to figure out how to play a cyberpunk story. I just wanted to sit down and tell a cyberpunk story. Um, and so I started uh, in January, th was thinking about, you know, what if I was to design a game, hypothetically, what would it look like? And I started thinking about it. And that day I got nothing done because I couldn't think about anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I, I dove headfirst into that bottomless pit of game design. And um, I realized, OK, this is actually what I really, really want to do. Um, so I started leaning into it more. Um, and But the main reason I created Sagas was so that people could easily tell a story together in whatever world they wanted to. And we've since then have gone through a ton of different, like, um, you know, protected IPs. Like we've done, we've played in Pokemon. We've played in Horizon, the video game series. Uh We've played in uh, Fallout, and I know there are some actual TTRPGs for these uh, games, but we didn't have to learn entire new games in order to play in the settings that we already love. I think that's great because you hear about folks so much who are like, I want to play in, I'm trying to think of any IP right now that doesn't have a tabletop role-playing game that I know about that you're random pull Jurassic Park. I want to play a Jurassic Park game. Yeah. How do I do that? And there are, obviously there's like some small games that probably are Jurassic Park themed, or you can pick this one up and then play star Wars the next week with it. Like there's so many exactly. games, th there's so many settings and stuff that people want to be able to play. And it's just not possible because those games either aren't out there or they're expensive and hard to get your hands on. Yeah. Like like the Star Wars games. <laughs> <laughs> and another really, really cool thing about, you know, being able to play games in any world is that you can actually tell the same story and easily switch between worlds as the story is told. Uh, yeah. One of the earliest live play tests, and you can watch this on uh, on my YouTube channel, is Oops All GMs, where four people sitting around a table, and I started off as the GM, and we were playing in like this weird fantasy western, uh, you know, desert town, but like the sheriff is a snake with laser guns. Um, <laughs> is that the one that's on the screen or the cover? Um, yes, actually it is. I, that was the inspiration for that character. Love <laughs> um, so, uh, we, that's how we started. And then at the end of that session, the entire party gets sucked through a portal 
And when we come back next session, there's a new GM in the seat who was a player in the last one. I'm in the player seat. And the new GM gets to invent their own new world that they emerge into on the other side of that portal. And we keep doing that. We rotate through all the players. It's like four sessions long. Um, and it was a ton of fun being able to play the same characters in different worlds. And one of my personal favorites things about that was we got to reflavor our characters to fit those worlds. Like we get to describe, you know, you get your fire wizard, right? You know, it's wielding these flames and fireballs, throwing them everywhere. But then you get sent to a cyberpunk setting and now he can just turn his hands into flamethrowers. And it's an entirely different vibe, but all of the abilities are exactly the same. It's really about being able to customize and build what you want as you're going. Mm -hmm. There are a handful of things to help you get started with that. I think how you have it set up in the book, at least for the, for the play test is so well done. One of the first things in the book is a getting started with Saga's page, and it's about the very first thing, building up what you're going to be playing. What was some of the, the thought behind giving guidelines on how to get started with the system? So that was one of the things we've actually expanded on a lot uh, since we put out that playtest document. Um, we've expanded that whole thing into like, I think three or four pages now. Mm. And, um, sorry, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> How did you build up making sure that like people were able to get started in this game specifically with world creation and customizing the atmosphere for them? For me, that's something that always came really naturally. So... Uh, I would be able to very easily like, you know, that description I just did of like, you have a fire wizard and now he's in a cyberpunk. Maybe his arms are flamethrowers. Put him into a uh, Western and now he's wanted for arson or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, you give your character flavor depending on the setting um, or you can uh, use the setting itself to inspire your character from the ground up like you, know, you do in most um, most TTRPGs. Uh -huh. um, but for putting, so putting that together was actually really easy. Cause I just described my own process pretty much for character creation. Um, and for, just for funsies, I threw in a really fun, uh, world building table where, uh, I, I believe the in the, so much. It, it's so cool. It's so much it's fun. So much like fun. It's, it's a, it's a little table with 20 entries and each entry is a different genre and you roll the D20 on that table three times. You take those three entries and you smash them together and invent a world from it. And we've expanded that as well into um, many, many more. Um, I recently did a post on social media about it um, where you we have a lot more genres added to it we've got uh what kind of powers that world entails like it could be it could be magic like fantasy it could be uh -huh. sci-fi it could be an ancient technology it could be a punk setting so you know steampunk solar punk cyberpunk um and there's there's just so many cool worlds 
And there are so many options to use those worlds and build from them um, Mm -hmm. your story. Yeah. Like most tabletop role-playing games, Sagas is really defined by the people playing it and the characters they inhabit. So let's talk a little bit about characters and some of the cool stuff that they can do in this game. How does building a character in Sagas work? So it's pretty simple. Um, You start out at level one with uh, two health, two effort, and we'll get into that in a second, and uh, three talents. And with talents, you can have, um, this is where most of the customization comes in. Um, With talents, these are abilities that actually level up with you, and you sort of treat them like a leveling tree, where you have, every time you level up, you get two rank points to spend in your talents and make whatever talents you want more powerful or just pick up new ones and start building those from the ground up as you level. There's also customization in your traits, which is kind of like if we're comparing to D&D, like racial features, they're kind of like the same. They stick with you. They don't level up as you do, but they define, um, you know, bonuses you get just from being what you are. You know, you could be a robot, you could be an elf, you could be, uh, you know, generic human with a certain personality. Um, And that's where your, that's how you, that's how you would determine what your traits are. The really one of my favorite things about it is the last one, and that is your struggles. Um, Another thing, I know I keep up. I keep bringing up Dungeons and Dragons because that's the one game I know best and have played the most. Yeah. Uh, so I can't help but compare to it. Um, but one thing I don't like about it is that they have like this really cool table in the top right of their character sheet where you have your bonds, flaws, etc. But they don't actually have any mechanical benefits or detriments. With struggles, you actually do have mechanical detriments from being who you are. Um, a couple of the popular ones would be uh, kleptomaniac, where you have to make a check not to steal something. Um, there's also anarchist, which is you have to succeed on a check in order to interact normally with a person of authority. Um, there's the flip side of that coin, which is um, meek which is the exact same thing. You have to make a check in order to uh, interact with a person of authority. But if you fail the check and you're an anarchist, you disobey. If you're meek and you fail the check, you have to obey. You know, stuff like that. And, then, and most of the struggles are like personality-based or, um, you know, something about like maybe an injury. Um, like you have bad eyesight, bad hearing. Um, some One of your senses is damaged in some way. Um and there's a lot of inspiration that can be drawn from that mm-hmm. in order to create your character and make them unique and like invest yourself in them. What I really like about traits and struggles is they are 100% about defining who your character is. And I think <laughs> as silly as it is, the easiest one to wrap your head around that is just big. It's like you're you're a big person <laughs> and you can you're do big. things because you're big, but you have issues because you're not as small as other things. And that's exactly. Great. But then they get a little bit odder, like the energy thief or 
the the heat resistant and then the struggles are just a way to really build out role play and some of them are hilarious like bad driver i love the idea of just having a bad driving trait it's so funny to me or the chatterbox that's another one yeah that's a that's a really really popular one and a lot of players when they go through that they see one of them like it's like for example chatterbox they'll see it and you say hey i could just play myself cool exactly <laughs> the amount of characters that a lot of the times when people get really into the role-playing start of it they're talking a lot and it's a great die to have when your character is talking mm-hmm. a lot so we briefly mentioned effort i want to get talking on that because i really really like how effort works in this game specifically the team elements that you've invoked with it so what is effort yes. how do you utilize it and how do you make the most out of your effort so effort is probably the thing that sets sagas apart from other universal systems, because there are other one, there are other ways, um, other systems you can play where you can play in any world. That's not like a unique thing to sagas. Um, but with effort, we kind of take all of the um, consumable abilities from other games. So spell slots, mana, stamina, whatever you might have, and we boil it down to effort. Um, and with effort, there are certain talents that use it. You know, if you're casting a spell or uh, it wouldn't be casting a spell in all settings, but control fire um, or a minor teleport. Some of these will use effort in order to, you know, be able to um, as a consumable thing. So you can't just do it over and over and over and over again. Um, but there are things that everyone can use effort for, even if they don't have, you know, talents that require them. Um, the first thing you can do is boost, which is um, essentially elevate yourself, try harder on the roll, um, and you spend three effort and you get one extra die to your roll. And it's sort of like advantage in D&D. You roll multiple dice, you just take the lowest one. In this system, low is good. It's a roll low system. So a one is a crit. Then there is help, which is exactly the same thing as boost, except one, it helps someone else not yourself and two it costs less where boost costs three effort help only costs two so it's more efficient to help your allies instead of helping yourself um another thing another option you have to use effort is combo and this is one of my favorites it's pretty much the same as help where you can just declare it at any time when someone is making a check um in this case an attack roll Mm-hmm. and uh, you spend your two effort, and if your ally's attack roll hits, it does one extra damage, which is huge in sagas, because most attacks only do one damage in the first place. Yep. Um, and a really, really cool way you can... Uh, re- my favorite thing about effort is that you can stack all of these abilities on top of each other. So you can have... Everyone in the party either helping or comboing with your epic final move to take out the final boss. And, like, everybody gets to hop in and describe what their character is doing to help. Like, you know, the um, the fighter is going to leap off of a rock with a sword plunging downwards towards the dragon. The fire mage is going to light the sword on fire. Um, the rogue is going to distract the dragon, make him look up and expose his neck. All this stuff you can like continue to 
describe and lump onto this one check everything that you can in order to get this final boss down. Um, and those moments so far have been my favorite in sagas is when everybody piles on to one check at the end of, you know, the story um, to make sure that they all succeed. And it's a team effort and it's, uh, I just love it so much. <laughs> it's a very cinematic style of tabletop role-playing game mm-hmm. because of how, how you define scenes, but also how characters interact and with the f- simple fact that things in this game are a little bit more frail than other games. Not necessarily saying that like you're going to have somebody die every game or whatnot, but it's, right. it's a theoretical, like enemies aren't 40 minute fights on there, unless you're going very heavily into your descriptors. There's a lot going on, and I think that really benefits it because of just how fast-paced this game can be played. Right. It's it's I I really tried to make that uh, combat system much faster than you know we're gonna spend the next three hours trying to take down this dragon. Man, three hours for a dragon's a pretty fast time. Too. <laughs> exactly. In D&D at least. <laughs> yeah. But I think that really works because what you have in sagas is the scene in summary. It's like a, it's, I think it's two paragraphs to define the difference. And that's more or less just contextualizing how things work. And as GMs, you do this where it's like either we're really playing or we're saying, I did the thing, let's move on to the next thing. But just having it on the page is just a good little reminder for both players and GMs picking up sockas. Yeah. And I wanted it to be easy for pretty much anyone to pick up. And that was one of the reasons I put down so much on that, you know, those first couple pages about this is how I personally have found success in the way I run games. So, you know, yeah. the dis- like the, um, difference between when you're describing a scene, everything is going blow by blow, or a summary. You don't want to go like role play buying rope. You say, okay, you go and buy rope. You have rope. Good job. Give me some gold. Um, you know, however you want to tell those stories. But I think having those on paper makes it a lot easier for people that haven't played TTRPGs before to be able to pick this up. Or maybe they've only played like one TTRPG before, only a couple sessions or something. Yeah, it's even more straightforward than a Powered by the Apocalypse game, which is usually really, really straightforward, which is incredible, especially for introducing the game to people. We, I kind of got off traffic. I kind of got off topic <laughs> because uh, traffic. Wow, that was a weird... Uh, I kind of got off topic. We, there. we are off traffic here. We are off traffic. <laughs> <laughs> but I did get off topic when I was talking about effort there because effort is such a valuable resource. How do players get it back? This is another reason that effort is a, a big favorite of sagas. Whenever you fail a check, any check, that means attack rolls, that means an avoid check when a monster is attacking you, that means trying to talk to someone. Every single time you fail a check, you get one effort back until you're back up to your maximum. 
And that it, I definitely stole that from uh, Powered by the Apocalypse and, you know, all the games that are associated with it. Because I saw someone playing that and I said, oh, you get experience when you fail. That's brilliant. I'm stealing that and reflavoring it for my own thing. And, you know, that's kind (laughs) of how game design is supposed to work. You like find cool stuff that you like from other games and put it into your own after screwing with it for a bit. Mm -hmm. I think it works really well especially for a game that has so many cool abilities that players can take Mm -hmm. and something that promotes teamwork. Really it's, you can get boosts and stuff, but you could also have a bunch of people assisting your flavored big sword swinger as he attacks the final boss of a campaign. Like, yeah. It just, it's such a cool way to to really go into these setting agnostic games because there are a number of them, but this might be most straightforward that I've seen. And that is a very, very nice change of pace. Thank you. I, we really tried to make it easy for people to, um, you know, pick up and just play. And so far, I think we've been pretty successful with that. I would definitely say so. Clearly, though, reading this, you are a GM who likes to make things for your game instead of just pulling things from the book because this monster (laughs) system is so good. (laughs) So let's talk about (laughs) monsters and how really the game shines when the game master is making their own monsters for the players to fight. So... Everything in this, uh, everything in this game, everything in sagas, you has like guidelines for creating your own. It has guidelines for traits, for struggles, for talents, for equipment, um, and the probably the most fleshed out one is guidelines for creating your own monsters. We've got a whole yeah. table of you know figuring out how um, how powerful this monster is. And the monsters themselves are all really, really simple. Like, they don't have that many abilities because, you know, combat's supposed to be quick. Um, So they'll have the time to, you know, flex their guns, show off what they can do, um, and uh, hopefully be defeated. Or, if that's not your kind of storytelling, hopefully uh, just take out the entire party. TPK, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, there's, uh, we designed it so that the monsters are really, really easy to make. Um, so you can go in and just, you know, usually after playing a couple times, so you get a vibe for how it works and, um, create your own monster. And one of the things that I, uh, really like about this and I'm considering using it to make it a GM-less system, if that's your thing. Um, Not entirely, but like maybe in a supplement do a a GM-less option because monsters don't use dice. They don't roll attacks. Um, Instead, they have all static numbers that uh, the players are going to have to overcome. So when a monster attacks you, you're the one that has to make the roll. You roll an avoid check to get out of the way. And so that makes it really, really easy for the GM to run the game because that's just one more thing that they don't have to do because they already have so much on their plate. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a big fan of like re-delegating 
the GM's tasks to other players. And it shows <laughs> in uh, sagas and how I designed it. Another really cool part about sagas monsters is wounds and yes what they do to player characters so let's talk about wounds because they're very threatening so wounds are essentially status effects you know they can range from you know you get your hand cut off to oh no there's some sticky webbing around your legs um, and each one of them is uh, usually pretty easy to remove. Um, you just have to, as long as it's not too bad, it's easy to remove. Um, in most cases, you can rest and you reduce the wound severity by one in order to, you know, start the healing process for it. There are some where, you know, it's a magical wound and you can't heal it by resting and you have to, that's a, it's a quested line right there to, you know, get your, uh, get your wizard's eyesight back or whatever. Yeah. Um, but another reason that I am shying away from D&D, another thing I don't like about it is that it's not a very realistic or story oriented mechanic where you just heal fully every time you rest. So in sagas, you do get all of your hit points back when you heal. But if you have a severe wound, um, you know, like a laceration across your chest that just won't stop bleeding, you will continue to have that past rests if it's bad enough. Every time you rest, you only get to reduce the wound's severity level by one. But if you got hit multiple times and this wound was applied to you three times, it's going to take three days for it to go away. Not just, yeah. you know, one, you know, one and done. I think in the pre-made monsters that best shows in the fire dragon with its um, blazing breath attack that gives you full mm -hmm. body burns. It's a yep. really intense. It's a really intense imagery that makes a lot of sense. So obviously yeah. after you I mean, fight you're being consumed in fire from a giant exactly. magical lizard. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something that like clearly this would suck for a long time. So yeah. it's going to take some time to to heal from that and I think that what Sagas also does really well is it gives players that option where if they're really hurt and need to take the downtime it's it's not like the one that comes to the top of my head is Tomb of Annihilation in the final dungeon when everything is bad all the time. Sagas feels like you can take a breath as a group when you need to. You cannot do that, but the game gives you the option to do that mm -hmm. and just mm -hmm. <laughs> fix your characters a little bit. Just we, we're going to take a rest in this dungeon, make sure we're safe, just take a little breather, and we won't be totally fine coming back out, but we'll be better. Yeah. There's also horde monsters, which I always love to see a little bit of a mechanic <laughs> for, because the worst thing that I think about Dungeons & Dragons is when you get attacked by a swarm of kobolds, and you need to individually pick off 30 kobolds. Because after a little oh. while, you know you're going to kill it in one shot. You know you're going to... I like... know. It's it's a nightmare to have to run those. <laughs> like, as a dungeon master, you have to keep track of 40 enemies? Gross. 
combat's going to be boring. It's going to take forever. The players are going to get distracted. It's not going to, they're not going to be invested for this combat anymore. Uh, so with horde mechanics, we boiled it down to, they stick together as a group. Um, and one hit point is one individual in the horde. That's simple. So, you know, you got a horde of, uh, 12 people, you, uh, uh, hit them for two damage, then two of them go down. Um, and I I think my favorite part about the horde mechanics is the overwhelming part. Um, yeah. Because if you're in the same space as them, you need to use your action to get out um, because you will not be able to attack when you have, you know, 30 zombies clawing over you. You can't swing your sword like that. You can't shoot your gun that way. Yeah, it's really good at making the scene feel a little bit more realistic. If you're swarmed by something, you're stuck until you do something Mm -hmm. about it. So, like, taking a full-on swing is not going to work. If we're using the zombie example, lining up, like, a good shot with your gun, not going to be super easy. So let's talk a little bit about... Let's use that character. Let's talk a little bit about what a round of combat would look like, because I think it really contextualizes how this works. Mm-hmm. So um, first thing that happens in combat is the GM will call for a reaction role, similar to initiative in D&D. You know, figure out the turn order. Um, those with faster reactions are going to get a lower die, which is better in Sagos. Um And there are abilities you can take to increase your reaction time um, and get better reaction rolls using a D6 instead of a D10. So once you have your turn order, um, first player player goes, and they they can do two things. They have their action, and they have their movement. When you move, you can move one zone. And a zone is, you know, 15, 20 feet across, you know, a vague area. It could be hexes if you're actually using a map. It could be... Uh, it could be squares. Um, it could be anything as long as they're, you know, 15 to 20 feet across. Um, and so you can move one zone and you can do an action. There's a lot of different options for your action. You can attack. That's probably the most common one. Uh, you know, target a creature, roll some dice, see if you hit. Um, <laughs> you can uh, move again, sort of like the dash in D&D where you uh, try to you just move another zone. Um, you can brace which is really cool. You basically hunker down, and if you get hit after you brace, then you lose effort instead of health. Um, a good way to, it's a good way to um, you know, make sure that you last as long as you need to, especially if you're trying to tank the front line. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also encourage. You can use your action to shout or communicate in some way encouragement to an ally. And you can give any amount of your effort to that ally. So if, like, you've got one person on the front lines or um, maybe you're in a ship and they're fighting down on the ground, you can use your action to encourage, talk over a walkie, say some words of encouragement in character, and they get a boost. They They get effort back. Um, because sometimes just failing checks doesn't do enough to get like re- replenish that resource. Um, yeah. so being able to encourage your allies and give your effort to them, uh, has been really, really helpful. Um, let's see, what else can you do with your action? 
we've got attack, we've got uh, encourage, we've got move again, we've got uh, brace. I feel like I'm forgetting one. Is it help? Is that the one that's? Oh, that being no, because help you don't actually need to use an action for. That's the cool thing about it. When you're helping a, another character, that's on their turn. So you don't even need to spend any actual action to do it. You don't have to prepare to help. You can, um, you know, you're, you did your attack and everything on your turn. Now your enemy, your ally is doing their attack and you want to help, you can just help. You don't have to spend anything but your own effort to do that. And you can do it at any time. Turns are really, really quick. Uh, you know, you move and you do something. That's it. Um, you don't have to keep track of how many actions does this activity take or which kind of action does it take. No, you just get an action. Um, and the players make all the rolls, like I mentioned earlier, so uh, it's a lot easier on the GM to run monster turns, which are very similar. You know, you get to move and you get to do something. Um so combat typically, uh, especially once the players and the GM are familiar with the system, combat can go very, very fast. Um, uh, there are some people that like to, you know, slow it down with description. Like they get to describe how epic they're, you know, stalking out of the shadows with their two daggers to slice open the back of the monster. Or they can just say, okay, I roll, I hit, okay, I do one damage, that's it. My, my turn's over. So if you don't want to describe things, you don't get bogged down in, you know, math, which yeah. uh, was one of the original goals of sagas from the outset when we started creating it. And I think that's another one we've succeeded in, you know, achieving. Mm -hmm. In the unfortunate event that it happens, what does hitting zero HP do in sagas? Oh, this is, I know I've said I like, I like a lot of things about sagas already. <laughs> you know, I like the effort. I like that you get to help each other and it's easier to help others than help yourself. Um, but <laughs> this is where my dark side kind of comes out. Hitting the, <laughs> the death and dying mechanics are so cool. Okay, so when you hit zero health, uh, you have two options. One, you can go unconscious. You know, you uh, drop to the ground. You can't take actions. You can still be healed and get back up and in the fight and everything um, and all that. The other option you have once you hit zero health is to take your last stand. And there's a, a lot of mechanics associated with this, but it boils down to you get a huge power boost, but... Death is certain. You can't be healed. You are going to die. Oh, I just think that's it's like, so cool. It's a very cool, like using the zombies, especially like that's a very, a very cool mechanic uh, in that kind of story. Right. Like you imagine mm -hmm. it, like we, we've been using this example. The horde gets in on one of the players. They get bit a bunch and they go down to zero. They last stand and take out as many as they can with them. Yep. You know, when you last stand, you get two dice for every attack just as a base. People can still help you and everything. Um, all of your attacks now do two damage as a base instead of one. So your slash, every single attack you hit takes out two of those zombies in that horde instead of just the one. And you uh -huh. can actually, like, you might even be able to get the horde down. You might win the fight. Even if you do, you're going to die. And you'll be able to have that, you know, 
classic cinematic character death moment where you have one last conversation with a close friend or a loved one or something like um it's essentially think boromir and his death from lord of the rings yep. spoilers sorry if you haven't seen lord of the rings or read it <laughs> boromir dies <laughs> if you haven't seen lord of the rings um, this probably isn't the podcast for you either You're probably in the wrong realm Thank yeah you, for you uh, but... like thanks for listening but <laughs> um so like like he gets hit with three arrows right that's very, very last stand. Like, he should be long dead. And he will be, but he's still going to fight and do what he can to make sure, you know, the halflings get away. It's so good. I really like the death mechanic in this. Unconsciousness is still very threatening. I think that's one mm-hmm. of my biggest issues in a lot of the fantasy games, like Pathfinder 2nd Edition and Dungeons and Dragons, it's zero HP does not feel that scary, especially after level five, where yeah. you start getting resurrection magics. But it can be very cinematic and very, very scary in sagas. And I really like that. Yes, it can. It really, really lends itself to. Um, its name might be sagas, but I think it also really lends itself to one shots and miniseries, um, yeah. especially because of that this last stand death and dying mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, like you're you want to be the one. Like I personally love being the person that like you know you get that screen time when your character finally draws their last breath. And what their last line to their loved one is, make sure you get away, whatever. Um, But being able to be there in that moment and having that screen time, um, it's it it just feels awesome every time. Even if I'm the one running the game and they see one of the players do it, they get they lean so hard into it. And it's amazing. It's a lot of fun. I. I love death and role-playing games. I'm not out to kill players, I should say. I just think that it can do so much for a story. It really ups the stakes. And it can it can do some really cool stuff in in a story, frankly. Just mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's it's a really interesting way. Think think of think of your favorite story, right? Does mm-hmm. someone die in that story? Do they die heroically? If you're listening to this podcast, probably. Um, so, <laughs> like, you, this is a chance for you to be able to write and act out your own moments like that. And it's probably an amazing scene, too. Like, when they die. Right. It's probably one of your favorites. I know it's, they're, like, death scenes are probably one of my favorites um, scenes as, as in all of media, to be honest. Just because they're always so impactful. Yeah, I I think some of the best scenes are like in games like Halo Reach. I don't know if you ever played that, but... No, I never got into Halo, but tell me. That entire game is about your squad being picked off over the course of the story, and it's heartbreaking. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not really about that, but it's like a huge proprietor because it's, it's a prequel to like one of the worst devastations that happens in Halo. So it's 
were really good. You assume most of the characters are going to die, but they make you care just enough about the characters that when they get killed, you feel real bad about it, but just have to keep on chugging along. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right before we started talking, we were talking about you and streaming and some of the cool stuff that you've mm-hmm. done there. So let's get into that before we have to start wrapping things up. Yeah, sure. Um, how far back do you want to start? <laughs> Wherever you'd like, because I really like some of the things that you've done recently, but I know that streaming has been something that you've enjoyed lately. So wherever you want to start there, Dennis. <laughs> um, so one of my favorite stories to tell is how I started in TTRPGs. And it used, to, I used to say that, uh, I started as a GM, you know, I, I mm-hmm. found the books in a closet uh, somewhere and I read them and I realized it was a game and I'm like, Oh, this would be so cool. And I think it was D and D fourth edition that I was reading at the time. Um, okay. and so my dad took me, um, and so I started like reading those books and yeah. I, uh, you know, fell in love with it immediately, got a group together, played our first session. It was awful. We had a great time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, we we did, like, a whole campaign like that. Well, I was still learning the ropes. So were they. Um, it was just this chaotic nightmare, and we had so much fun. Um, that's not actually how I started. Uh, it wasn't until <laughs> recently that I recalled a deep, buried memory of the real start. And I think I was in middle school or so at the time. And um, my dad, who had played, you know, D&D when he was in high school and college, um, he wanted to get me into it because he thought I would love the hobby. Turns out he was right. It just was a bad first experience here. Um, (laughs) He took me to a local game store um, and we played in an Adventurers League game. And this is nothing against Adventurers League, um, but the GM that I had was not great i it Mm. might have been the gm it might have been the rules i only remember my experience i built this really really cool rogue assassin guy you know edgy as hell um you know and we were playing through the game and really early on um you know adventures league is like individual sessions for a larger campaign and i hopped in somewhere in the middle um and the big bad of the whole campaign showed up to like spout some lines at us about plot and whatnot. And combat began as these lines were happening. And that's how the uh, adventure was designed. I'm pretty sure. And so I being the rogue jumped out of the shadows and tried to stab the big bad uh, missed. Obviously big bads turn came around crit me and dropped me to zero. And I started dying immediately. I fail on the next three subsequent turns. I fail all of my death saves and my character's dead. That is my first experience. And it was awful. I had, I did not have fun. You know, I didn't know about all the role-playing stuff. So I was here for the combat and what happened in combat is I missed. And then I died the end. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that (laughs) really turned me off to the whole concept of TTRPGs for about 10 years. Um, but when I rediscovered it 
and started playing it again, uh, obviously I fell in love with it and, you know, I've been telling stories ever since. Um, it was about 10, uh, eight or nine years after I started playing, um, that I realized, you know what, scrolling through Reddit and just commenting on my advice on posts isn't good enough anymore and is not rewarding at all. <laughs> um, so I said, you know what, I could probably make some videos about it, see if people, you know, like what I have to say. Um, and, you know, I was just considering it uh, because one of my friends has a pretty successful YouTube channel himself. And we talked about it one time and I realized, wait, the threshold for getting YouTube to pay you money to make videos is that low? That's super achievable. And later that week, one of my posts on Reddit just blew up. Uh, it was like, you know, 10,000 or more upvotes and, you know, a couple thousand comments. And I'm like, this is amazing. I've had no more than 10 upvotes on any post before this. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I can do this. Um, so I started making uh, YouTube videos and they were super bad, really shitty. You know, everyone has to start somewhere. Um, and one of my favorite things about, um, one of the reasons I went into it in the first place was not only to get my advice out there was, but it was because I was a couple years out of college and I hadn't learned anything new in years. And I was like, I miss that. I, I'm not developing any new skills right now. And content yeah. creation has given that back to me. There is so much you need to know in order to make good videos. You need to know yeah. lighting. You need to be able to edit videos. You need to know how to get good sound recording. You need to know how to edit good sound. Um, you need to be able to write scripts. You need to be able to perform in front of a camera. You know, there's so many skills that go into being a YouTuber. And um, I knew there were a lot, but I didn't know how much I needed to learn before I started, you know, making quality stuff. Um, and I feel like now I, if I went back to it, I could do even better just because I'm aware of how much it requires. Yeah. Um, so I kept doing that for a couple months and then got into the actual play community and started, you know, watching, you know, I, I knew about critical role, obviously, uh, dimension yep. 20, that sort of thing. And I was like, Oh, cool. I wonder if there's other things like this. And I opened that uh, Pandora's box and realized, <laughs> wow, there's, there's so many. This is huge. I could probably do this, too. And so I started doing that. And I did a couple charity streams. Um, shout out to uh, a couple of people that really uh, welcomed me into the community. Um, Jordan from Flutes Loot uh, welcomed me in as a YouTuber. Um, Alex from Constructed Chaos as well. Um, as far as the actual play goes, um, both Sarah, the hype goblin, her stuff is all amazing <laughs> and she's super nice. Um, Jess, the human over on Twitch, also fantastic, taught me what I need to know about how to do a charity stream. Um, there's that's one another thing I love about this space and I want to keep doing this probably for as long as I live because everyone here that makes this content is so welcoming and it's just it just feels amazing to have conversations like this like we're having right now about the things we love and we could talk about this like if you wanted this episode could be three hours easily oh probably uh <laughs> 
and that that's where I am right now. Like game design is um, honestly another thing, another box that I've opened and haven't dived into too much yet. But I think it's another space where I'm going to be able to, you know, strut my stuff and make a ton of lasting friends doing it. Yeah. That's really amazing. I, I love that. And for you, like just, I know that I personally was able to connect and it's a little bit of a weird spot when you're like doing an audio only podcast where you exclusively talk to game designers and like Mm -hmm. different people in the indie community. And I love it. And being able to see their audiences grow is so cool. Like just how positive the space has become over the past couple of years is incredible. Yeah. It's amazing. I want to do this the rest of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Dennis, you're getting ready to launch the Kickstarter. So let's talk about that because that's, Kind of the most important part of this entire interview right now. So let's talk about the Kickstarter. Yeah, I mean, we're called scheduled for launch, right? Well, the launch is scheduled. (laughs) It is scheduled for January 8th. Um, That is coming up very quickly. Um, We're going to have a launch party stream over on YouTube where there's going to be a bunch of Q&A. If there's something we didn't talk about here, um, I don't know when this is going to come out, but if it's not January 8th yet... Uh, you can, you'll be able to go, uh, either look at that stream or watch it, um, and see some of the, uh, other Q and a, because it's not going to be just me, the entire team of people that I've hired to help work Uh on this. Uh, we've got our artists, we've got our layout designer, we've got our project manager and our editor. We're all going to be there, you know, fielding questions, um, and, you know, just hanging out while we actually launch the Kickstarter while we're live. So very excited, very nervous. It's been coming up. It's felt like tomorrow for the longest time. <laughs> and once we hit launch, I think a lot of things are going to change and start becoming very real very fast. Yeah. I feel guilty that we weren't able to talk about all the amazing people that you've brought on for this because looking at their work they seem great they are they're so it's amazing i'm so lucky and blessed to have an amazing team behind me for this dennis what is it about the tabletop role-playing space that invigorates you to create this these conversations talking about the things that we love in this professional context and for the benefit of an audience. It's my favorite thing ever. Uh, and I want to do as many of these as I can in the future. That's awesome. I love it. Final question, Dennis. Where can people find out more about you and Sagas? Well, if you want to find out more about me, you can follow all my socials at okayist underscore underscore DM. Um, or my YouTube channel, OKSDM. Uh, if you want to find out more about sagas, I'm sure there will be linky links in the description for our Kickstarter. Um, but the current playtest that we were talking about earlier is available on Drive-Through RPG right now, and you'll be able to find it if you just go in there and search sagas beta playtest. 
as always, audience, like Dennis said, those are going to be down in the description below. Go check out Sagas. Go support them. The Kickstarter should be live when this goes, uh, unless I'm like really early. Then March, March, oh my gosh, January 8th. Holy smokes, I was way ahead of myself <laughs> there. Be close by then. It's, it's so make 2024 sure too soon. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so make sure you go check this out. Support Dennis and the rest of the crew who are making Sockets because this game is so cool. Like, it was like a really easy read too, which I appreciate. It's not like a chunky. Good. Yeah, it's not like a. It doesn't feel like a textbook like some games do, which <laughs> it can be a little off-putting. I remember the first time you get the player's handbook as a D&D player, and it starts with math, and you're like, okay. Yeah, 250 <laughs> pages? What is this? <laughs> Dennis, thank you so much for joining me on the show this week. It was absolutely incredible to have you. And thank you so much for having me. Like I said, these conversations are why I do any of this in the first place. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear it. And thank you, audience, for listening. Go check out Sagas right now. Dennis and Sagas are scheduled to launch really soon. It should be on Kickstarter as you're hearing this. Take care of yourselves, and I'll see you somewhere out there. Bye. Thank you so much to Dennis for coming out to the show this week. Sagas went live yesterday, and from what I've seen and read so far, there's a lot of really cool things in it, and I really dig what they're doing. Especially when the price tag's free when this all comes out. Effort and horde mechanics are really two of the core things that I love about this, along with those death mechanics. It's really neat. I dig it a lot. I think you will, too. Go check out the Kickstarter, and if you like what you see and you heard here, then please go support Dennis and the Sagas team, especially if you can. And thank you for listening, audience. Happy New Year, by the way, since this is the first episode I have done in quite some time, really. Things have been busy, and I've had some personal stuff happen, but I'm all right, and things are going smooth, and things are okay. <laughs> I don't really know what my upload schedule is going to be, and I don't have an exact time on when the next episode is going to be coming out. But if you like hearing from me and you want to hang out more and chat with me, you can join me on Twitch, where I stream under the name Astroceratops. I do a bunch of random video games and stuff with people. A lot of Lethal Company recently. Been having fun with that. That's typically Monday, Tuesday, and Thursdays around 7 to 11 p.m.-ish Eastern Standard Time. So if you're bored and you want to come and chat, go there. Or the top link here, you can do that as well. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, though, please like and share the podcast with a friend, or even bigger, more importantly, please let me know if there's stuff that's coming out. I know that Zine Quest is happening soon, and I'd love to feature some of those folks, so if you know there's a project coming out and you really want to hear more about it, let me know. I want to get into that with those people. Thanks again for listening, and I hope to hear from you real soon somewhere out there. Bye. Bye.